guys, and welcome back to The Devil, The Witch, and My Wardrobe. I'm Bridget, as always, and I have a super exciting episode for y'all today. Uh, coincidentally, we recorded this episode at the end of January, and it just so happens to be airing during the first full week of Black History Month. So hopefully with this episode, we get to recognize and also celebrate Black history and Black culture. So we're starting off with an interview with Cher Lambden, who is one of the interpreters at Rosedale Plantation in Charlotte, as well as a fellow ghost enthusiast. She actually wrote a book called Haunted Theaters of the Carolinas, which you can find on Amazon, and I'm super excited to read it and get back to you guys with some stories because I've been wanting to report on a couple of the haunted theaters in the area, and um, maybe I'll have Cher back on for that and a couple other things that... So we have we just have stuff in like the works for the future, but it's very exciting. Um, but today, we're touching on the history of the Rosedale Plantation, as well as the spirits that haunt it. One of which is a well-known and well-renowned conjure man who was from the Gullah Geechee people in South Carolina, which is a very beautiful and spiritual community that we'll be getting into later. Um, I actually got a lot of behind-the-scenes footage of this place and also... Um, some footage and evidence of us communicating uh, this conjure man that I just mentioned. So I'm making that available to $3 patrons. And from now until the end of February, I'm donating 30% of Patreon funds to the Trans Women of Color Collective, which provides support and financial aids to trans and genderqueer black folk. So if you're interested in donating to Patreon, you can find me at patreon.com slash dwwpod and our Instagram is at the devil, the witch, my wardrobe, all spelled out, all one word. So that being said, let's get into it. All right, so we're at the Rosedale Plantation yes. right now with Cher. Um, so Cher, can you tell us me tell me a little bit about uh, the room that we're in right now? Yes, we are in the cellar at Historic Rosedale Plantation. The house was built in 1815 by a man named Archibald Frew. And the cellar we're in now actually served as the combination kitchen and laundry facility at that time, which is unusual for a house of that time period because usually you would have your kitchens in separate outbuildings right. to avoid the risk of fire. But for some reason, Archibald Frew wanted his kitchen kept close to the house. Awesome. So why are there two different fireplaces? There are two main flues that run through the entire house, and they're both connected to these fireplaces you see here. Mm -hmm. The one down at the far end actually served as the laundry area. That's where oh. they would do the laundry for the household. And then the fireplace we're sitting next to was basically the kitchen. Awesome. So can you tell me a little bit about the owner? Yes, the original owner of the house, as I mentioned before, was Archibald Frew. He built the home in 1815. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about his early days. We know he was listed as living in Charlotte in the early 1800s as a shopkeeper. But he eventually went on to become postmaster and tax collector for the city of Charlotte, which means he was not a very popular man <laughs> at that time. Uh, he was related by marriage to North Carolina State Senator William Davidson, mm -hmm. so he had high connections there. But uh, he basically built this house, this very grand house. It's almost 5,000 square feet, which is huge for home even today, in an area where most of the people lived in one or two room log cabins. And many people actually felt that such an elaborate home was going to bankrupt him. In fact, they actually called it Fru's Folly. 
because of that. And as it turned out, they were actually correct. The method of tax collecting back in that day was that the government gave you a quota of money to turn in, and then it was up to you to go out into the neighborhood and shake down your neighbors for as much as you could get. Wow. If you got more than the tax quota, you got to keep it. That's how tax collectors made their money. But if you got less, then you had to make up the difference yourself. And after one bad summer, crops failed. People were not able to pay their taxes. Fru did go bankrupt. He actually did lose, almost lose the home. Uh, fortunately, Senator Davidson stepped in, purchased it, saved it from foreclosure, allowed the family to continue living here. Uh, but they didn't live here for very much longer. Fru actually died, again, under mysterious circumstances. We don't actually know mm-hmm. what caused his death in 1823. Mm-hmm. But we do know he died, interestingly enough, on April 15th. Well, tax day. Tax day, yes. <laughs> what went on to become our tax day. It seems very ironic. Awesome. Okay, so um, do you want to give me a little bit of a history of the plantation itself? Yes, or? absolutely. Well, after Archibald Frew died, uh, we're not sure who lived in the home for the few years following that. But in 1833, Senator Davidson's daughter Harriet married Dr. David Caldwell, and the senator sold them the home at a greatly reduced rate as a wedding present. The Caldwell family moved in. Dr. Caldwell established a medical practice here in the community, and they went on to have a family of eight children, four boys and four girls. Uh, Dr. Caldwell basically served as a traveling doctor. He would go throughout the community, uh, help people that needed him. Of course, they could call on him here. And, And of course, most people, when they hear the term plantation, they think gone with the wind. tea, cotton, tobacco, but in fact, Mm -hmm. none of those things were grown here. This was not a commerce plantation. It was what was called a subsistence plantation. It was basically just a large farm. They only grew the food items that they needed to survive, corn, wheat, grain, and other food crops, and of course, they had barnyard animals. So do you know who lived here after that? Yes. Uh, Actually, interestingly enough, the house remained in the Caldwell and Davidson families pretty much ever since it was first built. Uh, When Dr. Caldwell died in 1861, on the eve of the Civil War, the house passed into one of his sons, and it continued on into the family. After that, the last two members of the family to live here were the Davidson sisters, Mary Louise and Alice Davidson. And they were the ones that decided they didn't want the home torn down, sold to developers, be made way for apartments or shopping complexes. So they sold the home to a historical foundation for $250,000, as opposed to the millions they could have gotten from a developer. The foundation restored the home to the antebellum period. We started giving tours in 1993, and we've been giving tours ever since. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's so cool. So they they stopped living here in, like, the 80s? The late 80s, yes. Oh, that's so interesting. And then they kept it pretty close to well they did not the house had been modernized of course Uh, they you know it had modern conveniences in the kitchen the bathroom and everything else when the historical foundation bought the home we restored it to the antebellum period so we have no running water in the house anymore (laughs) and only limited electricity um so you guys say that you guys have quite a bit of paranormal we do experiences here. we have our share of ghosts uh we believe that dr caldwell may be here uh, in fact i i like to tell people dr caldwell attended what was at that time the state university in chapel hill we now know it as the university of north carolina at chapel hill and i did too so i like to go in and talk to him and tell him how about how the tar heels are doing <laughs> in sports every year i don't know if he actually understands me but uh, i like to tell him that we believe he may be here mm-hmm. we have had reports of children's laughter mm-hmm. in one of the bedrooms we believe that quite a few members of the enslaved 
are on the property. Mm-hmm. But we do a paranormal investigation twice a year now in conjunction with the Charlotte Area Paranormal Society. It's a fundraiser for the house. People are able to come participate in an actual paranormal investigation. And we have actually had people get quite a few good photos and other evidence while they've been here. Oh, how interesting. Um, are there anything that like you like experienced yourself? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was one of the people who's heard girls laughter in the bedroom. I have often smelled pipe smoke in mm-hmm. one of the rooms of the house, and there's a family story that tells how one of the enslaved used to like smoking a pipe mm-hmm. in the house. So I've smelled pipe smoke. And in fact, recently, when we were taking down our Christmas decorations that we had put up for the holidays, I was in the house, and I heard two solid knocks on one of the staircases. So I actually ran back in, got one of the other docents and brought her out with me and said, oh, you know, we, ha- we have to go and see if there's anything else going on. Well, we didn't hear anything else, but both of us smelled a very, very strong smell of apples huh. in the main room. And there hasn't been you know, a dinner, a meal in there quite some time. So, so we thought that was very interesting. Huh. So you said that there's a quite a bit of activity down here. Yes, yes. We believe that there may be some of the enslaved down here as well. Mm. Uh, Some people have reported they think that one of the laundresses may be here. Mm -hmm. We also know that the head cook at the time Dr. Caldwell lived here was named Miss Nancy or Miss Nisi, sources vary, and she was apparently a very, very good cook. The family adored her, and we believe that she might be here. We also believe that one of the caretakers who was on the property, um, a man named Albert Chance, he was not enslaved, but because he was a caretaker here in about the 1910s, mm-hmm. 20s, 30s, but he is believed he might have been a uh, member of the Gullah, which were the descendants of the enslaved that lived in the Charleston area, the okay. low country area. Okay. And he was known as the Conjure Man. He was very well, well versed in herbal lore, um, never went to school, was a very wise man. People often went to him for advice, uh, for, for herbal help, and it's believed that he might be here as well. That's so interesting. So he, he lived here. He did. He lived here. He was a very trusted caretaker and a friend of the family. In fact, he was one of the few non-family members to be trusted with a key to the property at that time. That is so interesting. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> um, yeah, when I came down here, I felt like there was like a few people in here, actually. Yes, we believe there that there may be. And uh, we include the seller on our grounds investigations when we do the paranormal investigations. Mm-hmm. And uh, quite a few people have reported the smell of cooking down here, of fires. And we haven't had a fire down here in, in decades. The chimneys don't work anymore. Right. So. Right. That is so interesting. So have you had any, like, experiences with things moving around? I personally have not, and I haven't heard of anyone who's actually witnessed things moving. Mostly what we've gotten are are smells. Uh, We have some very interesting photographs that people have taken. I'll show you those. Okay. Uh, Sounds. We've got uh, an EVP, some EVP from some of our investigations that we've done. On one investigation, we were doing... uh, uh, question and answer session in the girls bedroom upstairs and one of our investigators asked a question and you can very clearly hear on the audio girls laughter little girls laughter so they're just having a merry old time up there <laughs> we, we like to life. hope so we like to hope so it it wasn't all fun and games in 1845 a an epidemic swept through charlotte of a disease called erycephalus mm-hmm. and it's basically a much more severe form of strep throat and Mrs. Harriet Caldwell caught it. Three of the children caught it, and all four died within a year of each other. Oh, my goodness. So it was a, a devastating disease that struck quite a few people. And it's prob- it's very likely that they all died in the house. Wow. Man, that's awful. 
um, are there, so we have Dr. Caldwell mm-hmm. that passed away on this property. Yes. We have most likely the four family members. Possibly, yes. Um, is there anybody else that? We also believe that Mary Louise Davidson may be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was an avid gardener. She loved her gardens, and uh, as her mother did as well. And or it was either Mary Louise or Louise Hagee Davidson, who was her mother. But there have been many reports of a woman in white seen on the grounds. And in fact, we have a very interesting photo one of our guests took of what appears to be a woman in white in the far corner of the property. Wow. Uh, CAPS, the Charlotte Area Paranormal Society, also caught some interesting infrared photos of what looked like a woman in a dress in one of the upstairs windows when no one was in the house. Huh, I just got goosebumps. (laughs) That's crazy. Is there any reason why she would be on this property? We believe everyone is here because they loved the property. Right. They they loved the home. They loved the grounds. They want to make sure it's well taken care of. And, and we do our best to try to take care of the house and grounds. So I see that it's like pretty close to the street and pretty close to everything else in the area. So did it always used to be close to things or? Well, and actually not too long ago this was still almost the middle of nowhere we're only we're less than five miles from uptown charlotte Mm -hmm. and the street that runs in front of us now tryon street was Mm -hmm. there at that time when the house was built in 1815 at that time it was called old salisbury highway because it ran then as it still does now to salisbury but it was mostly fields and forests the home originally stood on almost 900 acres of property and and it wasn't all cultivated fields much of it was uncultivated forest right but over the years the family sold off plots of land and we're now down to just a little of just about nine acres okay but uh yeah we're we're this beautiful little little house basically in the middle of urban charlotte yeah it's uh we like to call ourselves charlotte's best kept secret <laughs> and uh, we're we're fortunate in the sense too that our next door neighbors we, we often make a point of telling that and our next door neighbors it's the charlotte mecklenburg sheriff's office or the oh. mecklenburg county sheriff's office so we're well protected. You know, right. If we ever have any issues, we've got folks right next door who can help us. So I saw that there is a huge tree outside. Yes. Um, and it's called a... A swamp oak. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, that tree was brought here in 1894 and planted on the property. So it's a very, very old tree, and it's one of Charlotte's treasure trees. Yeah, it's Because beautiful. of its age, yep. So one of Dr. Caldwell's sons, his youngest son, Baxter, served as a Confederate soldier during the Civil War. Uh, according to family lore, he spat at a Union soldier and as a result was arrested and sentenced to be hanged. We do know that a family slave named Jefferson traveled to visit Baxter in prison, taking with him the coffin, presumably to bring Baxter's body back after the burial. Uh, supposedly, between the two of them, Baxter and Jefferson faked Baxter's death and Jefferson smuggled him back home in the coffin. Uh, regardless of how it actually happened, we do know that the two men did return here to Rosedale and spent the rest of their lives here together. In his later life, Baxter suffered a stroke that crippled him, and he was confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And it was Jefferson who cared for him. Uh, Jefferson would often wheel him out on the back porch of Rosedale to give him his morning shave, and he kept Baxter's shaving kit in a little compartment uh, built into one of the pillars on the porch. He'd keep his shaving kit in there, bring it out every morning, give him his shave, and put it back in to be ready for the next day. Well, Apparently, Jefferson does not like anything else kept in that cabinet because we've had several instances where, for instance, workmen have been here doing work on the home. They'll put their tools in that compartment, close the door. The next morning, they'll come back. The compartment will still be closed, but their tools will be scattered all over the place. 
So apparently Jefferson does not like anything else being stored in the compartment. But uh, I was mentioning Albert Shands earlier, who was one of the caretakers here and known as the Conjure Man. One of our ghost stories states that if you have a question for Albert, ask standing here watching the herbs. We have no, no drafts down here. It's very quiet and still. But if Albert answers your question, he will cause the herbs over there to swing. And I noticed they were swinging earlier when you were taking photos. So that's, that's one of our stories. And you'll notice they're very, very still right now. So. Do you have any other stories about him? I'm very interested. We don't. Um, I don't have a whole lot on Albert. We just recently did some research on him. Of course, uh, February is coming up, and we are doing a display in conjunction with Black History Month. So we are talking about Albert and some of the others, of course, that lived here. But uh, Albert was very proud of his South Carolina name. And as I mentioned earlier, it was believed he may have been Gullah. And of course, they're very well versed in herbal lore. So he would often you know, give people advice and you know, help them with, with herbs and things like that. Uh, he was apparently a very, very well-liked man. So the Gullah culture is an African-American community that descended from West African slaves. This culture began in the coastal plains of North and South Carolina, Georgia, and parts of Florida, but now resides mostly in South Carolina, South Carolinian Sea Islands, and Georgia. It's said that this part of the country, um, if they finished their work early, slaves were allowed to have the rest of the day to themselves, which allowed for their culture to live on and sustain itself, which is why gullet is so prevalent in South Carolina, as well as them being geographically separated from the rest of inland towns and cities. So this culture was really able to keep to itself and really thrive without being diluted at all. Music is a huge part of their tradition, which is drawn directly from West African chants, which use blue notes, which are the basis of all the great American musical forms, like jazz, gospel, blues, and spirituals. Singing these songs is a way to remember and pay homage to their ancestors. Um, and it's said that spirituality comes first to the Gullah people. So spirituality, food, family, music, and their language, which is a Creole language um, called the Gullah Geechee language. Gullah Geechee food is very fresh, like farm fresh, seafood oriented, and is said to tie the present to the past and their traditions, which are largely based on rice, which is a big part of West African food as well. So tying back to the Rosedale Plantation, Albert Shands, known as the Conjure Man, practiced American folk magic. Um, he was well-versed in herbal lore and knowledge. The Gullah Geechee people incorporate Christian ideology into their African systems of belief, including God, community, respect for elders and ancestors, and an observance of life and life after death. So I found this really great article from Joseph A. Opala, um, published through Yale. He writes, Gullah burial customs begin with a drum beat to inform people that someone in town has died. Mirrors are turned to the wall so the corpse cannot be reflected. The funeral party takes the body to the cemetery, but waits at the gate to ask permission of the ancestors to enter. Participants dance around the grave, singing and praying, then smash bottles and dishes over the site to quote-unquote break the chain so that no one else in the same family will die soon. Then the funeral group returns to town and cooks a large meal, leaving a portion on the veranda for the departed soul. 
So the Gola people believe in witchcraft and that witches can cast spells on people using herbs or roots that they put under a person's pillow or in a place that they know the person will walk through. So there are certain people who can help reverse or heal the effects of a curse and they are called root doctors or Dr. Buzzard. The Gullah people believe in demons and other dangerous ghosts that are able to take a person captive and kind of possess them, making them do things that they would not normally do. So to protect themselves against this, the Gullah people will sometimes put newspaper clippings on the walls or put a little bit of newspaper inside of their shoes because they believe that um, before taking any action a spirit has to read every word Um, and this comes directly from West African practices where they would do the same thing um, but with the Quran Um, so they believe that every spirit willing to do them harm would have to read every single word of the Quran that they put in their shoe before they could take any action. So this is pretty much everything that I could find on the internet, but since this is so interesting to me, I might dive a little bit deeper. Some people say that the Gullah people also practice hoodoo. I might do an episode on hoodoo because that's also big on North Carolina history um, and just is really interesting in general. Um, But if you guys want to keep up with me on Instagram, follow me at Okay, Lily had something to say. I'm so sorry. You can follow me at The Devil, The Witch, My Wardrobe. All spelled out, all in word. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. But um, most of the stuff that I post is going to be on Instagram. I'm not really big on the socials, but um, yeah. And if you want to check out the Patreon, it's patreon.com slash dwwpod. Yeah, I think that's all I have to say. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have a great week. Thank you so much for listening.